together. And so Exodus 32, um, I don't want to make excuses for it, but it's our third week still in this chapter. We actually have done more than just um, three weeks. I have done three weeks. I'll be doing. I think there were two other um, preachers on, on this subject, or on this chapter, rather. And so this morning, we're going to conclude. So all of you say, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right. We, we're going to come to an end. There is a little bit of a feedback here. I'm not sure if it's from my monitor. Um, thanks, Jama. Um, Exodus 32 has been this incredible chapter where, where the Israelites kind of let their God down. Not God, as in G-O-D, but G-U-A-R-D. In terms of building this, this golden calf, they started worshipping this thing, and there were loads of things that God spoke to them. Moses is interceding. And what we did is we said there are a couple of anchors that we feel are important for us to consider as we've gone through Exodus chapter 32. The first anchor that we spoke of some time ago is the fact that God can be trusted more than any human being. And so there's very clear evidence in this chapter that, hey, best not trust in Moses. Best not trust in Aaron. Best not trust in me. Best not trust in you. Is that okay to say that? Don't get offended now. Um, but we can't trust one another really. It's good to be able to be trustworthy, but I cannot put my entire trust on man. Best to trust in God. Some of you are thinking about that still, hey? All right, we're not going to go back to that. That's like three weeks ago. Go and find the, the podcast and work through it if you haven't done that. The second thing that we found is that God knows everything. God knew exactly what the Israelites were doing. And we spoke at length into that, that there's nothing that we can hide from God. And that there's nothing that we should worry about because God knows everything. How many of you know that God knows what tomorrow will be like, the 3rd of April, Monday, the 3rd of April, ladies and gentlemen. We have no idea what's coming our way, but God does. Watch this space and trust in Him. All right? It's very clear that God knows everything. The third thing that we spoke about last week is that God involves us in His plans. He wants to. You and I are part of his plan. I mean, please find your neighbor and just tell them. You're part of God's plan. And, and he wants to use you, not abuse you. All right? And it's a wonderful privilege for us to be involved in God's plan to, in this beautiful world that we're living in, have an impact on his behalf. And so that's what we've been speaking. So this morning we're going to conclude with um, another anchor. And, and our way of introducing this anchor to you is that you and I live in a world where there's constant change happening. How many of you know that the change is, is around us? I, I often find it very interesting that when I look at my African sisters, their hair do change so often. <laughs> I can't keep up with it. I'm like, please, you've got to warn me that you've changed your hair again because you look so different, isn't it? Yeah, it's very true. And then um, it's beautiful what you do to yourself. I love it. But I'm like, who are you? <laughs> um, imagine you coming home and your husband is like, hi, um, sorry, can we help you? <laughs> I don't know whether that happens to you, Simon. Does it? It does, really? I mean, precisely. I make my point there clearly. I mean, us, Makiwas, 
We don't have the ability to change our stuff so much. But you ladies, you're amazing. I'm like, it's, it's incredible. Sometimes I think some of these men, when they say I'm married to one wife, he says, I don't know if it's actually one anymore. Because they keep on changing. I don't know. Let's not go too much into that. But anyway, the point is, constant change is yet to stay, isn't it? Yeah. Hey? Yeah. We, we find it around us. And a couple of years ago, our, our private lives were quite private. I'm talking about 20, 30 years ago. Nowadays, our private lives aren't that private anymore. Why? Because of social media. Hey, Somebody takes a picture of you and they post it on whatever platform. You're like, oh, what have you done? You know, I thought it was just you and I having a moment by the dam or whatever. Now everybody knows about it. You know. and, and so these things happen and things constantly change. I want to show you how real it is. I found this in my... Hey? How many of you know what this is? You have no idea, Mr. Ferguson. Huh? You do. <laughs> this is negatives. You know your negative can be a positive? Huh? Like a COVID, I guess, as well. Hey? <laughs> well, these negatives are positive because if I look at them, these are pictures that I took in, I think, 1994. Huh? It's a long time ago. Hey? Anyway, um, these are things that we used back then to develop our pictures from. Nowadays, with digital cameras and all those things, and smartphones, oh, this has become redundant, obviously. I just keep them as, these are special to me. <laughs> all right. I want to show you something else that some of you have never seen. Look at this. This is an envelope. All right. And a name is written on there. Mine. And inside, watch, wait, wait, wait. Ha! Is another piece of paper, couple of them, and it's actually letter. Say with me, letter. letter. Yeah, yeah, it's a letter. And so this is from my wife, 1988, <laughs> before we got married. Shall I read to you some of it? What she wrote? Huh? Yo, you are amazing. Huh? Can you read it? You can. It's all in Afrikaans. <laughs> <laughs> None of you are going to be able to know a word. Some of you may know. But, I mean, she wrote such amazing things. She just still says them, I think, not write them. You do, you do, hey. She, she sometimes writes them. <laughs> I do know you say them. Anyway, years ago, this is what we did. We wrote each other letters. Something we should actually keep on doing because there's something beautiful about it. She took incredible effort to write this. We were, at this time... Thousands, actually, a couple of kilometers away from each other. She was in Joburg. I was up in, in Namibia and a month apart, a couple of months before we got married, and she wrote to me a letter, everything, all those things. <laughs> um, the point is that we live in a world where things are changing constantly. And what it does to us is that we anticipate change. We almost get bored with things that don't change. Isn't it? It's like cell phones. Well, mine is an old model. I need to change it. Or whatever it may be, clothing. Ooh, maybe let's go back to the hair thing. It's like, yeah, I've got to have a new. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what it does to us is that it often frustrates us because God, that's the next anchor that we want to talk about this morning, is that God never changes. God never changes. You and I change. 
And, and we become so used to change that, that in a sense, when, it, when things don't change, it's like, God, it's been, what, 42 years, Jesus. <laughs> it's not going into details, and it's like the same stuff, and Al Jazeera is confirming it. <laughs> and um, we're like, God, we, we're really desperate for change. But that can never be an anchor for us. When, when the world changes and the world events or environment changes and the political world changes, we cannot let that become an anchor for our souls, ladies and gentlemen. It's got to be God who never changes. And so in this chapter, we find the fact, these, these inc- it seems like Moses was praying and, and, and it seemed like God changed. It's like weird. Because let me just go to, with it, to you with it and... and, and to it with you. <laughs> and let's read in chapter 32, verse 7, just as we have been journeying through it, so you would know really what's happening, but I've got to just bring everybody up to speed. So they're up on the mountain, Moses and God, and down at the, in the valley, Aaron is, is submitting to the people's pressure of having a, an image made that they can worship. And the Lord says to Moses, In verse 7, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people. God is upset, eh? And behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now... Therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you, Moses. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, Oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought have brought out, out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? That's how you've done it. Verse 12, Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, that he bring them out? to kill them in the face, in, in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth. So he implores God. He says, turn from your burning anger. Like Moses talking to God. The God, turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember, he says to God, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you saw by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring. And they shall inherit it forever. This is what Moses had been saying in response to what God was about to do. And then it happens in verse 14. It says, And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. The story carries on. That's a, that's a tricky one. It's rather tricky because we see here God very clearly saying, listen, this is what I'm going to do. Moses prays and he reminds God of promises and said, God, but you, this is what you've done. You, you had this plan. You wanted, this is, these were your intentions. And, but how come you want to change all of this? And the Bible says, the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So, did God change his mind when Moses prayed and asked him not to punish the people for, the, for, for their sins? 
Does this mean that, that, that you and I can be involved in changing God's mind? Does God change? Comes back to this question. I mean, really, if I'm saying to you this morning that, that there's this wonderful anchor that we had in life that God never changes, what is happening here? The God's about to destroy them, and Moses pleads with God, and God, the Bible says, he relents. He doesn't do. Some Bibles actually would say God repented, which is incorrect, by the way. God changed his mind, some would rather say. And so, what is happening here, ladies and gentlemen? Does God actually change? Would you and I have the power to let God listen to us and say, Oh yeah, okay, my son, I, I hear what you're saying. That's a better idea. Better idea. Thank you, VC. I'm not mocking me say that. But is this true then? Because here is a little bit of a, an issue that brings a bit of tension. So how do we answer this? And so last week when we looked at how God used Moses, we recognized that God allowed, seemingly allowed Moses to get involved in a situation that Moses cried out, but God knew. God needed Moses' prayer to change his mind. No, it's just he knew he needed Moses to cry out and say, God, we know that this is not who you are. I know your character. I know your promises. I know your plans. And so when you put all of this together, what you see is that God had put Moses into a situation so that he would see the problem, Moses would see the problem, hopefully remember God's character and God's plans and God's promises, and then petition God to do a certain thing from the memory of who God is. Which again, as we spoke last week, we said, if you put in a situation, what do you respond to? To the needs of the situation or to the understanding of who God is? Yeah. Hence, the call for us to get to know God more. Not just intellectually, but relationally. So that when we are petitioned because of a situation around us, we won't be overwhelmed by it, but we will be conscious of who God is and cry out to Him. So last week our comments around was, this was that Moses was made aware of the state of the people because God had a desire to do something about it. God wouldn't have exposed Moses and told him about the situation unless he wanted to do something about it. Come on. I don't believe God had any intention to destroy them completely. He dealt with the sin, but there was clearly an intention from him to rescue them. And so he said, Moses, this is what I'm going to do. But trusting that Moses will, God, I know who you are. That's not your character. And so God sovereignly put Moses in a situation that would hopefully make him, Moses, cry out to God for the right solution. And what we are supposed to take away from this is that God has placed you and I in certain situations precisely for the express purpose of praying His promises, calling out for His plan, and trusting in His character to change the situation, and not to be overwhelmed by it, and not to be constantly only talking about the stuff that we are witnessing. And I think, and it's a hobby horse perhaps, but please, maybe don't forgive me, but just bear with me. I find it so difficult that we often just talk about this stuff. This last week, and, I, and I'm not trying to be holy and holier or 
trying to be self-righteous. But I think when we, when we just watch and, and, and observe all these things that are thrown at us, that becomes the stuff that we talk about. Yeah. And Al Jazeera, second episode of four has come out. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm aware of it. I haven't watched any of them. Not because I think that I'm whatever and better. I just realize that it will flood my mind with stuff that's not helpful. And I'd rather stick closer to what I know is the truth. And so maybe Moses could have, in this moment, also gone and, and investigated the full effect of what wasn't done and the whole research on why they did a golden calf and how bad the golden calf was and, and how serious this situation was. But what he rather relied on is what he knew about God. And so could we not become more aware of the greatness of our God, that God never changes, that our world is full of change, and it will keep on changing until Christ comes back. But in the meantime, God never changes. And so as we look at, at this, I want to just give you five things that I believe are incredibly important for us to consider about God never changing. And, and so first of all, God never adjusts His character. It's incredibly important for us to understand. He's never going to change His character. He's always going to be the same. He's going to put us in situations where we feel like, oh, He's forsaken us. But He's never, ever going to adjust who He is. And so whatever you and I are facing, we've got to let these things be like what we're talking, these anchors that keep us stable in the midst of turbulent waters. The world is full of it. But you've got a character never, ever changing. Because Moses says this, Lord, in verse 11, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt? He's saying, God, I, I know who you are. He's digging deep into the understanding of who God is. So I know that this is really not you. I know your character. And even Moses had in, in Numbers 23, verse 19, there's a verse that I want to give you. Moses himself wrote this about God. He says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or so God is not going to change. His character will always be the same. The, the writer in the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13 verse 8, the well-known verse that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He will never change. Our world will change. We don't write letters anymore. It's a pity. <laughs> Hopefully you will speak these things that you ought to say to one another, by the way. And not just use crypto language on a WhatsApp message. Take time to express your love and interest in one another, by the way. The world is changing, but God will never, ever change. By the way, when God was declaring this, I believe it was an intention. It wasn't a decree. He wasn't declaring, this is what I'm going to do. He was just saying, possibly an intention. But I'm actually waiting on you to respond to who you know I am, Moses. And so, so often, God's statements in the Bible is, are not necessarily decrees and declarations. They're just intentions. And waiting on us to see how we will respond 
So Moses pleaded with God about an intention and not a decree or a judgment that had been put into place. The second thing that I want to say about God, about the fact that He never changes, is that God never modifies His plans. The plans that He had purposed to, to do. and See here that Moses, even in this, he's pleading, and he's bringing out the character of God as he pleads with Him. He says in verse 12, Why should the Egyptians say, and I'm paraphrasing now, when, God, when you let them out of Egypt, did you actually do it for evil intent? Did you actually have something else in mind? Because if you, Moses saying to God, if you destroy them, that's what the Egyptians will say. It's like, Haha, you had something else in mind. Well, you told us that you have a plan to bring us out to worship you, but the Egyptians, if you destroy us, they will probably say this, that they will probably then indicate that you have changed your plan. Ever change. Surely Moses is saying, you did not bring us out to kill us here. Moses understood that God's plans were never that, and he believed it about God. He knew God's plans, and that it would not result in utter destruction of the people. But it is very important to note something else too, is that God commented that the people had turned aside quickly from the way they had that he had commanded them to go. So verse 8, it says here, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. God's saying in that, I believe, this is my plan for them to worship me, to sacrifice unto me. But they turned aside quickly from my plan. And possibly we could then say, well, then maybe God had to change his plan because they didn't like God's plan. But ladies and gentlemen, we're not going to ever, through our actions and who we are and what we do, change God's plans. God's plan will always be fulfilled. Whether you and I like His plans or not, He's never going to alter, He's never going to modify His plan because we're not so comfortable with His plans. And we live in a world where we are so used to change that people modify things to suit one another. Okay, you guys don't like this. Let's make it more accessible for you. I, I speak to, we, you know that we travel to um, the Fig Falls and, and, and there's a church up there and they're meeting at the moment as well. It's wonderful. And, and Fig Falls is a tourism city. I still don't know why they call it a city. But anyway, it was given city status a year or two ago. Anyway, point is, that, that in the city, there are a lot of lodges and hotels, and, and you speak to the people that work at these places, and you realize, my goodness, I love working in church. I think I'm okay <laughs> working with people in this environment. Out there in the tourism industry, it's a whole different ballgame. Because whatever the client or the guest wants, you've got to jump and make it happen. And in whatever you need to change to suit them and their needs, you've got to be ready to change it <laughs> because they rule. And it's tough. You can imagine. <laughs> Whoever they are, wherever they come from, uh, let's not mention places. But there's a city up in this, in this country. <laughs> anyway, and so you have these people that come from these cities and countries worldwide that feel like they can, they can demand right, whatever what it is. And people have to jump. 
and change things and change the room and change this and change that. And that's what we live with. And so often what we do possibly, we approach God with, God, can you just, just change this? And, and, and sometimes we ask even that God would change the people next to us. Isn't it? <laughs> Not just their hairstyle, hey. <laughs> ah, we're like, God, please just, just change them. I think it'll be so good, God. I'll, I'll, I'll really be able to love you more if you just change her. <laughs> God's no, uh-uh. Your prayer is going to be answered through you. What? Through me? Yeah, yeah. You change first. So this is where change needs to start. Not with God. Not with His plans. And what He has purposed for us to have here on earth. You and I have to adjust. And we see here that they turned aside quickly from the plan that God had for them. So now, I don't like that. Whatever God commanded, that's fine, but I don't like it. And so we've got to challenge one another and say these wonderful, kind words and grow up. And you've got to say it to me and adjust yourself because God's not going to adjust His plans. Whatever you don't like about God and His ways and I don't, guess what? <laughs> You're in a losing battle if you're waiting for him to change. I've got to change. And so when we consider this and how quickly, and it's sad, it says turn the side quickly from what God had commanded them. And I trust that none of us are finding ourselves in a situation where we turn aside quickly from what God has instructed you and me. We live in a world where this is so rife. And so real. Where people are constantly saying, you know what? I've just reached my goal. I don't know what that means in terms of the preach now. Can I stop? My watch says I've reached my goal. So I'm probably all the waving. Anyway, that's great, hey? So I can go sit down now. <laughs> anyway. um, so God says, I'm not going to change anything. The only person that should change is me. It's not Bromfest or Adelaide and God, only please and say, hi, you're going to have to change, buddy. <laughs> the third thing that I want to suggest to you that comes from this chapter is the fact that not, God never reconsiders worship of Him. Like, never going to reconsider, should we worship Him or not? It's given. So, it should be a given to you and me too. In verse 8, it says, when I read this earlier upon, it says, they turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them, and, and the result of turning aside, they have made for themselves a golden calf, and have worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, these are your gods, O Israel. So God, God comments on that. Why does He comment on that? He had instituted worship to be. They have changed worship. And we too, before we just get all holy and self-righteous and think, oh, these bad Israelites, we too institute a different form of worship every now and again. We do. And I'm not going to try to mention to you what those things could be. But you just ask what is more important to you than anything else at this moment in your life. What do you spend most of your time on? Energy, focus, everything. What is most dear to you? 
What is the thing that you just can't? God says, I'm never going to reconsider issuing this, this decree, this declaration that you should worship me and have no other, other gods. You go back to Exodus 20 and you go read what God institutes there through the Ten Commandments. It says, you've got to worship me, no other. I'm not going to reconsider that. I'm not changing about these things. about what they were doing, they were worshipping. So the issue was not so much the car. The issue was the worship. The issue is not so much your car or your house or your family or your children. The issue is if those things become more important to you than God. God says, I'm not going to reconsider issuing out a statement or a decree that you need to worship me. And so here they, they bow down to this calf and sacrifice to it. God never has second thoughts about the worship that is due to him. We do, isn't it? We're like, I wonder... Should I go that far? Sometimes people go second-guessing on what we should give to God, our entire lives. The people, it says here, God again commenting on it. Um, in verse 25, it's not God commenting, it's what Moses saw here. In verse 25 it says, And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. It's an incredibly sad thing here that happens. That because of their worship being redirected somewhere else, they had broken loose. They had let go of any boundary line that God had put in place. And they were doing whatever they wanted to do. When we turn to God, we turn from God rather, we turn to something else. And this is what happened here. They turned loose. And turned away from God. We, turn, we then turn to being out of control. And this is a very dangerous place to be. The calf and the worship of it caused them to be out of control. They had broken loose from all sorts of godly influence. And, and there are two verses here in the next slide that are, I'm not going to have time to go to it uh, with you. But actually what, what is implied in these verses is that whatever we worship, we become like that. Whatever worthless thing, it actually talks about worthless idols, we become worthless ourselves. So it's quite a dangerous thing. When God says, I do not reconsider the worship of me, because if you worship anything else or anyone else than me, then you become like that. You become like that. And that's why God says, I'm jealous. You belong to me. You, you, your life belongs to me. The moment you redirect your worship, you will become like the thing or the people that you worship. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you and I look like today? Yeah. Because that's an indication of who and what we are worshiping. The fourth thing that I want to suggest to you as we come into the last two is that God never reduces commitment to Him. We read this incredible thing happening in verse 26 where it says, After the people had broken loose, Moses stood in the gate of the camp. Moses had now come down and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Now listen to this stuff. This is a pretty hairy thing. 
um, things happening here. Put your sword on your each side of, of you and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. Fuck, that's a wonderful statement. It's one of those beautiful things on the fridge. Eh? You don't print these and put them up there. Go around and kill your brother. Now what they were doing is they were going to go and judge those that kind of set them up as leaders to lead this rebellion and 3,000 men were killed on that day. Pretty stuff. Deep stuff, this, eh? Where we realize God still demands a commitment to Him. And we can't fool around. God never changes. These things about God will never change. It's like whatever you sow, you will reap. There's grace. If we approach God and say, God, I'm sorry. In this moment, we find that Moses says to the people, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. So it's almost like through Moses, God was drawing a line. It's like, on which side do you want to be? Are you on this side or on the other side? And I believe still to this day that's what God does. He will never change commitment. He will not just lower the... Com- oh, sorry, no. It's getting a little bit tough here in the world to keep committed to me. So let me just make it easier for you. God will never, never lower the standard of commitment to Him. We tried to make it as cheap as possible. A couple of weeks ago, our friend Jakub Limer from the Czech Republic spoke about this, this cheap thing, this light version of serving God. Let me just try to make it as easy as possible. No, God never changes. His standard is always going to be up here. Salvation comes through Christ. That will never change. But in terms of responding to Christ and living for Him, the standard will always be up here, ladies and gentlemen. He's never going to reduce that. And in Deuteronomy 30 verse 19, very clearly we need to, we are given this instruction, this invitation that says, today you stand before me, life or death. You've got to choose. You've got to choose life or death. What do you choose? There's a drawing of the line, very clear. On which side are you going to be? Can't be on both sides. Either this one or the other one. The choices where we are making today either reflects our choice for life or for death. There's nothing in between. Did you get that? There's not a gray. Like, ah, come on, do I really have? Yeah, you have to. It's either this side or the other side. And God's never going to reduce the commitment that we ought to make for Him in every area of our lives. The last thing, in verses 33 to 35, Verses 32, first of all, uh, Moses is speaking to God. He says, but God, now, if you will forgive this, and, but if not, please blot me out of your book so that you have the, the book that you have written. He's like imploring and asking God, please forgive their sins. And, but if you don't want to, then it'll take my life. God said to him in verse 33, but the Lord said to Moses, whoever sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall be go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And then in verse 35, it says, The Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf. So there were implications. There were definite results that came their way for what they did. And so lastly, I just want to say, God never lowers the standard of holiness because... He recognizes 
that we want to live differently. We don't always appreciate doing it this way, pursuing the right, not wanting to indulge in certain practices. He's like, I understand. We live in a world where there's so much understanding, so much freedom and, and movement to have it your way, have it my way. But in God's book, there is no room to have it my way. He's never going to lower the standard of holiness and say, gee, I understand, it's tough. Sexually, I understand, it's tough. I'll understand and there's room. We have become so incredibly good at, at justifying our own level of holiness and say, but gee, God, do I really need to? Do you really expect this of me? And God says, yeah. I'm never going to lower it. Never going to. And yet we see the implication of them having lowered their own holiness. God says, I'll block them out of my book. And so, the reality is this. As much as we want to make this beautiful confession that God never changes, that brings security into our lives, but it also means that God doesn't change His ways, doesn't change His character, it'll never change. His plans, His promises will never change. But you also, you've got to also know what else He doesn't change. His ways. They won't be altered. They won't be modified to suit you and me. The change, the alterations, the modification, the transformation needs to happen here. And not wait on Him to lower it so that I can be more comfortable. No, it's God is saying, 1 Peter um, 1, beautiful verse, a few, few verses that you can read there, chapters um, 1 to 13 to 16, where really God is saying to the people, be holy as I am holy. That's the standard. That's the incredible truth about God, never, ever changing. And so this morning, as we come to an end. We want to prepare our hearts for meeting around the Lord's table. And what this table represents is Jesus dying on a cross for us. That's what Easter is all about. And we don't only celebrate that once a year. You know that. But this morning, I want to ask you to prepare your heart for this moment. And by the way, the table with the elements, the little piece of um, snacker, or cracker that we have is, is just a beautiful uh, reminder of the body of Christ that hung on the cross for us and it was bruised and battered and broken so that you and I can be whole and be healed. And the little cup over there is just a bit of grape juice, but it speaks about the blood of Christ that flowed for you and me as he was again tortured and went through incredible pain, immense pain, so that you and I can receive forgiveness. So when we partake of these elements, we are reminded of what He did for us, and we are inspired to live a sacrificial life for Him. We don't have to go on the cross, praise the Lord, but we are, we are encouraged and inspired to lay down our lives for Him. 
And so, in the light of what we've spoken about this morning, God never changing, I want to ask you to prepare your heart for anything that's currently in your life that you know needs change. We're going to take some time. And often what we do with communion is a moment where we come together as as families, as friends, and we, we break bread together and we celebrate amongst each other and we remind one another of this is the cup that represents his body, this is the broken body, and, and so we encourage one another. But this morning I want to ask you to do it very personally and take some time to reflect on where you are before God. And this table is available for all of you that that have a testimony that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. You don't have to be a member of the local church. This is available for anyone who understands what it means. But we also do not want you to partake of it and bring judgment on yourself if there's known sin in your life this morning that you're not dealing with. That's why I'm imploring of you to consider what change needs to come to your life. Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, do not hastily, do not just brush over this moment. But do it in remembrance of what God has done, but also in recognition that we are frail and we are weak. We don't want to partake of this and not repent of anything that needs change in our lives today. I'm not asking of you to go and dig deep now. I'm just asking of you to say, Holy Spirit, what is in my life this morning that you do not approve of? That I've just allowed. I'm just walking around with it. Maybe it's something, whatever, an attitude towards somebody else. Maybe it's something that you're indulging in that you know this this is not great. This is not good. And our, our, our motive of doing this is not to embarrass anyone. No one is going to talk to anybody about this. It's between you and God. And so we're going to just let music flow. And we're going to invite you to take some time. Go and grab a little cup. Go and grab a piece of the cracker and go and stand somewhere. Go and sit. But spend some time with the Lord around this, would you? Don't rush. Take some time and then... We'll, um, we'll conclude right at the end of, of our time of just spending. This is probably more important than anything else of this morning's gathering. You and God. You're working things out as you celebrate and recognize the blood and the broken body of Christ. So Lord, we thank you this morning that we can have this moment to stop and consider you and recognize what you've done for us, celebrate that, celebrate you. But also, Lord, we want to be responsible and responsive in the sense of, Lord God, allowing you to speak to us about anything particularly that, that you know, Lord God, needs change in us. Maybe it's a mindset, whatever it may be, Lord a particular issue and a sin that we've just been harboring and we've not made it an enemy. We've actually made it a friend. 
And so, Father, as we take some time to break bread and drink together, celebrate you, we also want to give you space now to speak into our hearts. I pray for this in Jesus' precious name.